In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, we're back. And not just me this time. I've got uh, my trusty co host, Jesse Temple. He has returned to help me with this uh, latest position preview. We're going to be talking about the offensive line, but also we're going to continue our series of getting to know people. And Jesse, I think we've gotten to know each other a bunch since we started this show, uh, but I don't know how many people out there know your story. Uh, so I'm going to try and wipe my brain clean of everything I know about you. And we're going to get straight up from the start. But first of all, how's your summer been going? Uh, pretty low key. I've been trying to use as much vacation as possible and play as much golf as possible. I've been getting back into it. It's, uh, you know, you don't get many months like this in Madison, right? When you're in the doldrums in January and it's 12 degrees and there's six inches of snow, you question your life choices, but June and July, good time to be in Madison. We went to top golf in Vegas. Did that like stoke something in you or what? No, I don't know what happened. I, I think April came, spring practice was getting close to the end, and I just needed to get out and do stuff. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh, not a bad way to spend an off season. I have a very um, tough decision to make coming up here in August. Uh, we have our zone golf outing, and I have not golfed in probably 15 years or 20 years. Like It's been a really long, long time. And you're laughing at this because you saw my swing at uh, at top golf in, in las vegas i believe you still had the video for uh for blackmail purposes later on that is correct i'm holding it over your head until uh, time to be determined <laughs> yeah so i don't know what to do I, i'm thinking of just getting out of it completely uh or i dive into it and like have to go to have to golf a little bit before that because it would be it would simply be an embarrassment for me if i went out there and just golfed at this point have you golfed well i don't know what you would define well as uh are you playing nine or 18 both depends on the day. Okay. I, my goal is to break a hundred on a given day. I played Yahara East last week and shot a 94. So uh, for me, I'll take it. And, and I'm trying to set a low bar because it's like, what's the difference between 94 and hundred four? nothing. I'm not going on the PGA <laughs> tour, but either way I get to spend four, four and a half hours out in nice weather on a golf course. So I'm trying to have fun with it. Were you a big golfer earlier on? If I remember correctly, these are things that I'm putting together. You, when you moved to Madison, you, part of the reason you moved to where you did was to be close to Vitens, wasn't it? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> I, I, I moved into an apartment complex that was across the street from Vitens. Uh, RIP Babes Bar and Grill, by the way, which used to be over there. Um, but I, I'm sure we'll get into the career stuff, but I had been in Muncie, Indiana and didn't work until the afternoon shift because high school sports don't start until the afternoon. So I would spend my mornings uh, taking golf lessons every day. And I got a membership to a golf course for $450 for the year. Uh, you could probably do that for about a week in Madison. So the cost of living was significantly lower in Muncie, Indiana. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I may dive into it, but I know, you know what? I got these, I got a month and change here, but I also know I just, I'm not a huge golfer. I just don't really like it. Um, I like the drinking aspect of it, but. That's kind of why I like bowling. I have a better figure for bowling and you can drink more and you continue to get better with it. But you also do the same thing with golf too, right? Like if you have a few more drinks, you kind of loosen up. There you go. Let's, let's hit the links in the next month, man. We got time. 
All right. All right. Let's get into it. As I promised, uh, getting into uh, learning more about Jesse's career, learning more about his path to Madison. Uh, he is one of the, I don't think there's a ton of people, but uh, he's someone that's been covering the Badgers longer than me. He got here in the 2011 season, middle of it, right? Like maybe first month of the 2011 season. But let's go back because uh, you grew up in Kansas, correct? Yes, for the most part. Okay. That's where, it, I, that's where I grew up and graduated from high school. Yeah. So you lived in where? Uh, in Kansas. I lived in Overland Park, Kansas, which is a, a suburb of, of Kansas City, Missouri. There's a lot of people that get confused that there's a Kansas City, Missouri and a Kansas City, Kansas. But um, I don't know why they did that. Either yeah. way, Overland Park, about just a few minutes from the border of, of Missouri. Isn't that where Graham Hurts is from? Uh, yes, it is exactly where Graham is from. And his high school was like, across the street from where I went. So when I went back uh, December 2018 to do a, a profile of Graham and, and watch him work out, it was at his high school practice field, like three minutes from basically where I spent my days. So it was sort of weird. So you grew up in, in Kansas. You grew up a huge Kansas Jayhawk fan, right? I mean, that uh, you, you pretty much have to be when you're in that, in that state. You played basketball. Were you, uh, you ended up playing in college, and we'll get to that, but were you a really good high school player? Did you run circles around people in, in high school? I wouldn't say that. Um, so my, my freshman and sophomore year of high school, my family actually moved to Iowa City, Iowa. My dad got a job there at the University of Iowa, and I happened to go to a high school called Iowa City West, which was like a preeminent power in the high school basketball ranks in the state of Iowa. My freshman year, when I was on the freshman team, they won a state championship and had three or four division pro, uh, division one players. There was a guy named Glenn Worley, who was a Mr. Basketball, went to Iowa. Nate Kading uh, had a pretty long career as a kicker, yeah. was a starter on that. Um, anyway, uh, so I was just a player there. I mean, <laughs> that was really a great program. Uh, but I moved back to Kansas for my junior and senior years and ended up actually staying with um, friends and their family, two different uh families, one for my junior and one for my senior year, because it was a place where I had grown up. It was like a K through 12 school. Um, and I just wanted an opportunity to do more things, to play three sports, to be in the school play, all those types of things. And there, uh, yeah, I, I'd like to say I was pretty good. I was the team's leading scorer my senior year. And we went 23 and eight my senior year. So for, for what we had for a, a school where the, the largest graduating class ever by the time I left was ours at 26 people I'd like to think we had a pretty good team did you ever have hopes of playing obviously you played division three but did you have any hopes of playing higher than that of course um when I was in middle school all I wanted to be was a division one NCAA college basketball player everybody watches the NCAA tournament in March I always wanted to be a part of that you start to realize <laughs> the closer you get toward it <laughs> That there are some limitations there. I'm, you know, I think when I entered college, I was five nine, 155 pounds. I, I probably maximized uh, my ability by going to Division three, but I knew I wanted to play college basketball. It had been a dream of mine for a really long time. Do you just say you're five nine? Yeah. Is Why that... do you think I'm shorter, Zach? I'm not. I'm not fibbing. On the roster, I was five ten. Okay. All right. So, like, but your doctor says you're five nine. Probably. I don't know. I haven't been in a while. Okay. All right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you're not. I don't I think, think I'm overplaying it. I'm not like five, six. I'm, I'm five, nine. I'm not, I didn't say you were five, six. <laughs> I didn't say you were five, six. I mean, like, 
I say I'm five eight. Um, I'm probably little, probably five seven, maybe right there between five seven five eight. I, I'm I'm not saying you're not five nine. Um, maybe we can say I'm five eight and a half. I don't know where the maybe there's a common right. ground. All right, all right. Uh, either way, so instead of uh, doing that, you ended up going to a different college, and uh, you played. What league was it? it? Was an Iowa league, wasn't it? Uh, no. So the, the name of the conference is the Midwest Conference. Um, okay. It had five Illinois schools. So I went to a small Division three school in Galesburg, Illinois, called Knox College. There were some other like Lake Forest was in the Chicago area, Illinois College, um, Beloit for people listening in the Wisconsin area, obviously Beloit College was in that conference. At the time, there was Lawrence up in Appleton, Carroll, which has since moved. And the, the program that I always just really admired was Grinnell College, which was in Iowa. Any, anybody who's a basketball fan may know their story that they just shoot 53s a game and set the scoring record every year. So we got to play them twice a year. But it was basically an Illinois and Wisconsin conference with an Iowa school in it. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, Grinnell is is obviously the one that gets brought up a ton, right? Because they – kind of they have a guy that cherry picks like they just keep one guy was it wasn't that kind of what it is like they barely play any defense i was i don't i think it was the first final four for wisconsin i was on a plane and i think i flew from somewhere in iowa down to i think it was des moines down to to dallas and i was sitting next to one of the coaches and i think i told you that and you're like oh my god i would have loved to <laughs> would have loved to would have loved to talk to him but isn't that what that was grinnell aren't they aren't they that so that team it, yeah, so they invented this thing called the system. I won't get this podcast bogged down, but it started in the late and started in the late eighties. Grinnell is a really high academic institution. He couldn't get anybody to like even show up for practice, and he invented this system that was hockey style line shifts every dead ball. Send in five new guys, so fifteen players could play throughout a game. They'd just play for thirty seconds or forty five seconds at a time, and they would go all out. They would full court press. They would give up a layup within a handful of seconds of the shot clock, so they could get the ball back and shoot a three. So I don't necessarily know that there was someone down on the other end cherry picking, but they were very eager to not play defense and score 130 points. And it was awesome. <laughs> uh, so you were at Knox college. What kind of player were you in, in college? Did you get a lot of time? Not as good as I would have wanted to be. I probably always have that regret that I wish I were better, but I mean, I, if I look back on it, I think I had a, a decent career. Like my, my freshman year, they had sort of a, like a JV team, which there weren't really many division three programs that had that. And, and I, I played on that. And then I was a legitimate varsity player the last three years. I think I played in 60 career games and I was a starting point guard my senior year. The numbers weren't like incredible. I think I averaged about three points a game, but I was second on the team in assists and had a three to one assist to turnovers ratio. So <laughs> I, uh, I got the job done and I got to play college basketball. And honestly, that's, <laughs> that's why I picked Knox. Uh, it wasn't for, and it's a great academic institution, but I was not thinking at 18 years old, what can I do uh, professionally beyond these four years with a career? I just wanted to go play basketball and I felt like I had a shot there. Yeah. So when did you, obviously you, you knew that was going to be the, the height of your play though. I, I, I do remember uh, hearing stories about your game in city league here in Madison back in the day. <laughs> Um, but when did you start first thinking about writing as a career? 
Well, I would also say the other basketball career highlight is that one night I got to play for the Washington Generals against the Harlem Globetrotters. Really? Uh, when I was in Muncie, Indiana. Yeah, they, they used to allow like a local media person to do that if they would promote the game or whatever. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't you know what we lost? I mean, oh, I thought it was going to be our night, but it wasn't. Um, but in terms of uh, a career, I want to say my sophomore year of college, I, I always thought I'd get into sports broadcasting. And I actually remember broadcasting one of the baseball games plugging a little device into a cell phone that you were calling up to this crappy yep. radio station that probably had a five mile radius for people who could listen. But I love sports. It's, I probably shouldn't say this, but it was the only thing I ever cared about. If I opened a newspaper, which I know people probably don't do that now, but some do, I would only read the sports section and writing was something that sort of came naturally. So I started working for the school newspaper. It came out every two weeks um, got more heavily involved my junior year. And then my senior year is probably where it really clicked. I was asked to be the sports editor. I loved every minute of it. I got um, a part-time job at the local newspaper called the, the Galesburg Register Mail for like six months. And I would go cover the junior college men's and women's basketball games or take scores and type them in and things like that. Um, and that experience sort of paved the way for me to pursue this as a career. I will say uh, Knox did not have journalism as a like a full uh, major. Uh, like I minored in journalism yeah. and I realized like <laughs> in a tough job market anywhere, there was no way I was going to get the job I wanted coming out of Knox with a minor in journalism, a major in English literature and like six months of clips covering junior college basketball. So I was very fortunate that there was a, a professor at the University of Kansas who was college teammates with my basketball head coach at Knox, who came down and sort of suggested that maybe I should pursue a master's in journalism somewhere just to open up different avenues. And I ultimately applied to Kansas and Syracuse. And as you said, I grew up in Kansas. I was a Jayhawks fan. So for me, it was sort of a no brainer. And the other thing that I thought was, if this is kind of a regional thing and internships are based on where you're located, I wanted to be in the Midwest. And then I went to the University of Kansas and spent two years there getting a journalism degree. I mean, obviously you do podcasts and you do interviews and you used to do a little bit of TV when it was, uh, when you're with Fox uh, Sports Wisconsin, right? How did, when did you figure out that it was writing more so than it was broadcast for you? Probably my junior year of college. Um, I just enjoyed writing for the student newspaper and it seemed like a more feasible path there. At least there was a minor there in, in journalism. Like there was just nothing for broadcast journalism where I was. And I think it felt more practical and felt more real to me. So that's, that's the road that I went down. I don't know how things would have gone if I had pursued uh, broadcasting, neither profession is particularly easy to get into really. No, I mean, and as we've heard in our uh, in our first three interviews, there's there's winding roads to get where you are today, and each everybody's story is kind of unique in how they how they get there. And it's interesting though that that you you know it was early on. This is kind of what you wanted to do, and um, it was the same way with with Mike Hogan, same way with Colton. Like, kind of had an idea early on that this is what you wanted to get into, and it and it worked out. It doesn't work out for everybody uh, that way. But um, so when you're at Kansas, what are you covering? I was timing is everything in a lot of these situations. You obviously have to put sure. yourself, you obviously have to put yourself in position to be successful. 
But when I moved to Lawrence, Kansas, I reached out to the daily paper in town, which is an excellent small daily newspaper called the Lawrence Journal World, and asked if they had any part-time openings. And as it happened, I think somebody was leaving. And I sent some clips from my Galesburg Register mail covering dodgeball or whatever else it was. And they thought it was good enough to pay me eight bucks an hour or whatever to be part-time. And that was honestly so much more valuable than getting a degree from the University of Kansas taking classes in journalism. Real world experience with actual clips that you're going to send to prospective employers matters a ton. So I got to spend two years. Um, my main beat was covering one of the large class high schools in basically every sport. They had a basketball team that made the state championship game my first year. And then I also had the really privilege of covering some University of Kansas sports. And I would be the guy who would write sidebars at the KU basketball games every now and then they covered Kansas basketball. Like it was green Bay Packers. I mean, Notre Dame football, it was King there and understandably yeah. so. So they would have multiple stories off the game and they would have a writer, write a story about the other team. Um, usually it was some blowout where the other team would just talk about how good Kansas was, but I got to do that. Um, so that was mostly what I did to put myself in position to move on as I built up this clip file and understood what it took to be an actual reporter in this industry. When's the last time you ever had to show your transcripts, right? Like when's, did you, did you, <laughs> Never. Did, you did you ever have to do that? No, I, I, I don't. Rec I think I, I think I may have my first job in Beaverdam. I think I, they, they asked for them, but it was, it's, it's not about that for the most part. It's about the work that you do. It's the work that you can put on paper and show them here is what I can do. That's one thing that I think is unique about our profession is that um, it's tangible. You know, if you're if you're a doctor or if you're a psychologist or something, you, you obviously you can have success in many areas, be published. But you can't say, here's what I did in this hour with a client or something like that. Here's what the surgery looked like. Maybe you can. I'm sure people out, I'm sure people out there listening have more experience in that area than I do. But the point that I'm making is it's extremely tangible. Here's the story that I wrote that I spent four months on. Read it. If you think it's good, this is what I can provide for you. But in terms of having to offer a transcript, I'm sure it must have happened for an initial internship or two just to prove that you actually graduated. Right. But no one's asking what your grade point average was in college. You graduated, you got experience, you, you got real world experience in journalism, and that's what matters. All right. Let's get into, into the professional aspect of here. So you leave Kansas and you go to Muncie, Indiana, correct? Uh, there was one stop in between. Uh, okay. But so one of the reasons that I went to Kansas was that KU had a really good reputation of um, its top sports journalism talent landing this internship with MLB.com. I always considered that to be like the internship to get because you were straight up covering a major league baseball team full time, like it was a real beat. Um, I think they had gotten three or four the year before. And as I said, the, the professor at the University of Kansas sort of convinced me to come to KU. And I didn't get, I didn't get it my first year. I was really crushed. Um, but my second year, I got the internship. So as soon as I graduated from KU, with the clips that I had from working at the Lawrence Journal World helped me get this MLB.com internship. So in 2009, from like May to September, I covered the Chicago White Sox. It also just so happened, and this maybe probably was a, a precursor of things to come, um, 
that was a year where MLB.com decided that all the interns would be unpaid, which had never happened before. And I'm quite certain has not happened since. So that sort of limited people and where they could go. Uh, I ended up sleeping on a pullout bed in an apartment with my college roommate because I was making $0 and working 14 hour days. Yeah. But that's what I felt like I had to do in order to get the next job. So I've always viewed my career as whatever the next step is to get to the next place. To me, sports writing is kind of like the minor league baseball system. You really start on the lowest rung in single A and have to work your way up. Um, so that was the stop in between was covering the White Sox. And those clips helped me get my first job with the Muncie Star Press in Muncie, Indiana. And that was almost, was that almost exclusively preps for you down there? It was, yes. I was the lead preps sports reporter for two years there and it was a great first job it was everything I could have ever wanted because I was sort of the I don't know for lack of a better way to put it the face of the the sports coverage even though I was in print so I don't know how much of my face you actually saw but <laughs> Muncie I mean if you've seen the movie Hoosiers that's based on Muncie Central's basketball program that lost the big game to Milan the tradition and history of high school basketball in Indiana is second to none. So I got to cover high school basketball, high school football, not, not the best, um, <laughs> but, but it was almost exclusively preps with a little bit of ball state university, which uh, is also located in Muncie Cardinals, right? Yes. Good go, memory. Go, good recall. Go, go cards. When did you know that you were a good writer? When did you know that you were, going to be able to do this for a living and, and, and rise up the way that you have? I don't know whether I ever really thought about the moment that I knew I could do this for a living. When I was at my undergraduate school at Knox, I won a couple of journalism awards. Um, one of them, I, I remember my senior year doing this in-depth report on essentially why the women's sports programs at Knox weren't very good. Like they're their collective winning percentage was so far below every other school in the conference. And I'm not tooting the horn of the men's programs because we weren't particularly great in a lot of sports. I'll tell you my senior year, our basketball record was five and 18. So, <laughs> um, but I remember that like what I learned from that story, it, it ended up winning this award. And um, it just kind of made me think like, Oh, people will read this and think that it is good. And if I can keep doing things like that, I could probably go somewhere else. So. I just always went to wherever the next place was that would allow me to do this. So how long did you stay in Muncie? I was there exa basically exactly two years. I started in October of 2009 and I left in October of 2011. The day that I actually, my last day in Muncie was the Saturday night game when Wisconsin crushed Nebraska in the Big Ten opener. Welcome to the Big Ten, Nebraska. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, so at that point, I knew I was going to go cover Wisconsin and the Badgers were undefeated and had like the best offense they'd ever have. So I thought this could be pretty fun. But um, I mean, that transition was sort of weird, too. I never I'd never been to Wisconsin, never been to Madison and, and didn't think that was where I was going to wind up. But I remember receiving like a one paragraph email randomly from a former professor of mine at the University of Kansas again. Sometimes you just have to put yourself in the right spot or know the right people. Luck plays a lot into this too, in addition to whatever your talent may be. But it was that this website called Fox Sports Wisconsin was looking for an opening to cover the Green Bay Packers, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember thinking, I don't really want to do that, but 
I don't want to be here very much longer. I, I want to take this as high and as far as it can go. And I applied and wound up talking to an editor. And in those discussions, it was sort of like, well, we also don't really have anyone covering Wisconsin. And there's this opening to cover the football and the men's basketball programs. And over those last few years before then, my dream was I want to cover a major college football and men's basketball beat because I had seen some of the writers do it on the University of Kansas, even though the football program uh, at that time, actually, they were OK. Um, I think they went to an Orange Bowl. But, you know, just seeing that day in and day out, that's what I wanted to do. And it ended up working out. And that's how I wound up in Madison in 2011, working for Fox Sports Wisconsin, which no longer exists. I was joking with Jake last week. Uh, if I put him and you together, you have uh, worked at pretty much every outlet possible when it comes to Wisconsin athletics. And none of it is like you guys le- like being fired or something like that. None of it is. It's just like moving on to what's next type of thing. But it did. It started with Fox Sports Wisconsin. And prior to that, you had just been in traditional media, right? Like you had been in, in print. How did that change for you? Because it, uh, I mean, it's it's certainly different. It's extremely different. First of all, and I've been doing this now for the last decade. You're kind of on an island. You work from home. You send your stories via email, and you don't have colleagues. And that was definitely a transition. But what I will say, and the things that I think have been important to me, are the timing constraints are not the same, and the length constraints are not the same. I certainly. It could be more concise in how I write, but being uh, for internet publications like that, it's not, hey, fill these 15 inches. We need 490 words and get it done by 1045 p.m. Um, And an example of this that I think kind of highlights the benefits of working for an online company is um, I remember covering the back to back final four runs that Wisconsin won on 2014 and 2015. Um, And both those years. Look, those national championship, national semifinal games, they're not starting at noon. They start pretty damn late and they end pretty damn late. And after you've done the interviews and transcribed, it's pretty damn late. But I could sit there and take my time and write what I felt like was the best story I could possibly write, even if I filed it at 3 a.m. And you can't do that necessarily when you work for a newspaper. I mean, certainly you can go back and file an online edition, but you have to have something for the newspaper. So those are a couple of things that were substantially different. But they're things that I enjoyed then and continue to enjoy working for online companies. Yeah. So it was Fox Sports, Wisconsin, and then it went ESPN. Yes. And then <laughs> and then it went Land of Ten. That is correct. And then uh, to The Athletic. Your time at ESPN, did you enjoy it? Because, I mean, like, I feel like as a kid growing up, like, that would be a dream spot for most people, right? Like, getting to work for ESPN, like it it was like, it's the biggest name in sports. Yeah. That experience was pretty eye opening for me. So at at Fox sports, uh, that company decided to lay off every regional writer across the country in uh, 2015 in the summer. So that was the first time that I I got laid off, uh, but managed to. (laughs) When I I said not fired, I meant it's nothing that you did on your own to get let go. Right. And that's, that's an interesting aspect, too, is it's hard not to take those types of decisions personally. But as this has happened more than once, you start to reflect it really, it's not about the work that I did. It's, it wouldn't have mattered necessarily. Right. Um, they have to make their decisions to handle their bottom line. And it doesn't matter if you 
won a Pulitzer Prize, probably they, they, they were going to let you go. But I ended up um, at ESPN.com for what was then called the Big Ten blog. And I think at that point we had like five or six writers on it. Um, you know, that was a very different experience. I remember being told, think less Bill Simmons and more Rick Riley. And what that meant was there's no four or 5,000 word stories. Uh, people are reading on their phones and you have to consider that. And so a lot of it was like 800 word stories. Um, and the other thing was Wisconsin, let's be honest, in the national landscape gets buried, especially if you look at Big Ten, it's Ohio State, it's Michigan. And, and Wisconsin was largely an afterthought. I sort of felt like they were really only important if they were playing Michigan or Ohio State. Um, but you're right. You grow up and you think, I want to work at ESPN or, or Sports Illustrated. And, and I got there and realized um, if I could work somewhere else, I, I might like that a little bit more. <laughs> and as it happened, um, ESPN had massive layoffs in 2017, <laughs> and I was a part of that as well. So for the second time in two years, I found myself without a job, having been uh, dealt a, a layoff as part of this huge company shift. It really sort of changes your perspective on this profession, I'll tell you that. It does. It's, it's an always evolving business, and it's always like it could be tomorrow and you could be done. Like that's, it's just, and I'm sure there's a ton of professions like that, but this one in particular, like it's the, the, the winds of change, it's insane. And uh, you've experienced that as much as anybody. So then you go to Atlanta 10, which was a, yeah. uh, a startup. Yeah. And uh, right. I mean, it was the people, it was the folks, the Atlanta journal that owned the, that owned the AJC in Cox Atlanta, Media. Cox media. Thank you. That started this up and they had a really successful site in Georgia. What was it called? Dog report or dog, something, whatever dog it was nation, I believe dog nation. And they wanted to expand it because they had such such success with that. They wanted to expand it, and they did. And they went to the Big Ten. And not every team had a writer, but a lot of them did. Most of them, most of them did. Wisconsin was one of them. You were one of them. Um, I had a little bit of a, a, a thing there, just putting links together every morning, uh, largely to everybody else's stories. Uh, but that was different. What was your experience there? It was certainly very interesting. So I was there ten months. Um, you know, I felt pretty established in Madison and I didn't want to leave. Uh, it's not a very big market, but it takes a long time to get to a point where I feel like people want to read you and come to you for your opinion and whatever's going on. And um, I remember I interviewed at the Minneapolis Star Tribune to cover the Gophers football beat or P it would have been covering PJ Fleck. How um, <laughs> Yes, you've expressed your thoughts on that matter. Um, one, of his been... former, one of his former players did today, too. Yes. It would have been a great job, but I didn't want to leave Madison and Land of Ten had not hired a full-time Wisconsin reporter at that point. They had for other other schools. Um, it was, I worked so hard there, multiple stories every day. Um, but what I learned was how to cover recruiting, which I had never done before at the previous two beats because it just wasn't a part of the, the routine. And at first I, I sort of, thought, uh, I don't, do I really want to do this? You know, you're DMing 16 year old kids or like, well, what's your top five? But I found out how to cover recruiting in a way that worked for me and that perhaps differentiated itself from other outlets, writing those feature stories and, and going more in depth on people. Um, and you start to build up a Rolodex of phone numbers and you can keep going back to them over time. So um, it was good for me. I, I did some, I feel like really good work but 
in uh, in a strange twist that you never saw coming, it didn't work out. Land of <laughs> Ten or Cox Media uh, decided to fold Land of Ten completely. Um, but I, again, being in the right spot, The Athletic, which uh, had been a couple years old by this time in 2018, they decided to expand pretty rapidly into different sports, and they were going to make a major push for college football. And in doing that, they were going to hire beat writers at some of the top programs across the country. And they reached out to me during spring practice late in that April, I think in 2018. Um, And as soon as they told me who they were with, I was ready to go because (laughs) the athletic was where I wanted to be from the moment I realized that it existed. It was everything that I thought being a sports writer could be that I would want. So a few days after I informed land of 10 that I was leaving, I found out that they were folding completely. So if that hadn't worked out, I would have been out of a job for the third time in three years. (laughs) Uh, Are we sure they didn't fold because you were leaving? (laughs) I, uh, I think so. I, maybe I'm just a curse. I honestly don't know. So (laughs) it was the first time I was ahead of the curve and beat somebody to the punch. I'll say that. Yeah, for sure. So your, your time at the athletic, it's, as you said, it's something that I think a lot of journalists would crave cover essentially whatever you want. Now you have an editor above you, but it's kind of free, isn't it? To do kind of what you want. Uh, it's certainly a little more free. Um, generally speaking. Yeah. I, I say, these are the stories that I want to do. And, you know, we're not beholden to these same types of newspaper deadlines, but I also don't have to write 50 stories in a month. That would be way too many. Um, part of the philosophy has been and, and continues to be, take the extra time, make the extra call and write the best story you possibly can. So if you don't have as many stories that month, but you have maybe more quality stories, quality over quantity, that's sort of the goal. And there's other things that we have to do. We've got a breaking news team and things like that. So that is still very important. But I think it it very much aligns with what I believe my skill set is. And and that's telling some of these more in-depth types of stories that allow readers and fans to learn more about the people that are involved with the program. All right. So b- before we get to our position previous, I wanted to ask uh, some personal news for you, because obviously it's been a, it's been an interesting few years. You, your life has grown and your job obviously uh, has been uh, affected by it, but you had a, a son. He, how old is he going to be? He will be two this September. This September. It's insane. I'm sure it's just been an absolute whirlwind and everything's just absolutely flown by uh, these last two years. Uh, but how has that affected your life? And and where did you, and, and where did you uh, be, along with this, where did you meet your wife? Was it here in Madison? And no, uh, okay, we actually met at Knox College many oh, many okay. moons ago. Yeah, so it's it's funny to think about the life choices that you make, and you know, what if I had picked a different school? What if I wanted to play basketball somewhere else? My life would be completely different. Everybody has those types of situations, but. Yeah, having, (laughs) I mean, we had a son in the middle of the pandemic. Um, He was born in September of 2020. And at that time, the Big Ten had decided that it was going to cancel the football season. Right. So I'm thinking, all right, I've got paternity leave. Um, We'll just figure this out. And I want to say that a few days later, I'm sure anybody can go back and look up what the specific date was, but it wasn't more than like a week later the Big Ten decided to reverse course and have a season. And it was like, oh my God, I was mentally preparing for one thing. And by October, we're out there covering the opener against Illinois where Graham Mertz is thrown for 900 yards and looking like a Heisman Trophy front runner. Um, and uh, so it was, whirlwind is a good way to put it. It's been 
very challenging, very, very difficult. You know, my wife and I, we, we don't have family in the state. Um, we've got like our family is in Iowa or, or Illinois. So it's not so far away, but it's also not you call somebody up and they can be there in 10 minutes. Um, and when we both work from home, uh, it can be a challenge when our son is sick or, you know, can't be in daycare. We have to divvy up responsibilities. So it's changed a lot <laughs> about how I go about doing this. But one thing that it has taught me from a professional standpoint is the importance of time management. If you've got a couple hours to do your work, don't dilly dally, (laughs) get it done. I was going to ask that. I mean, is that like the only major change for you? And like, what kind of sacrifices have you had to make professionally or personally to do both things, be it, be a dad and, and be the best writer that you can be? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's been, very challenging for me personally, this, this experience, um, you know, for 10 or 12 years, I put my sports writing career, um, at the top because it was, I'm so passionate about this and want to be the best that I can. And I certainly believe I can still do those things, but there are times where it has to be on the back burner. Um, I, as you know, availability during the season is only on Mondays, or at least it was last year. And I imagine the setup will probably be pretty similar this season. You get all your interviews, the head coach is there, all the players, and that's how you gather what you need for that week. And I, I, there was a Monday last season where our son, we, we had to go to the hospital. He wasn't feeling well and I couldn't go. And sometimes you just have to make those decisions and Hopefully you're fortunate enough to be at a place where employers can understand when situations like that come up. So, you know, that's one example that comes to mind is your priorities have to shift in in some way, even though you still have to get things done. You you mentioned earlier that your goal was to take it as high as you can go professionally, right? Like you want to go as far as you can go. Have you done that? Or is, is there something above this? Because I feel like everybody's different. Yeah. Like some people grew up and all they wanted to do was work in Madison and, and cover Wisconsin and cover Wisconsin sports. I'm not, you know, uh, pointing fingers at anybody, but I'm pointing fingers at myself. Like this is that I never had dreams beyond what this is. So I'm, I'm wondering where you are at in your mind. I feel really satisfied with where I am, you know, earlier in my career, it was always thinking about where, where can I go next? What, what will give me the best chance to get to that next place? And I think that's natural when you're starting out, you know, I don't no no disrespect to people who cover prep sports. Um, it's great. And it was great for me for two years, but I needed to do something else. Um, I think being at ESPN, as I said before, sort of opened my eyes, like what you think may be the greatest job ever may not turn out to be the case. Um, you know, I always thought, well, I want to go to sports illustrated, but you know, Sports Illustrated now isn't necessarily what it was when I was growing up. And to me, the athletic is, has become what I would have aspired to where I would have aspired to be. So for me, I feel like this is the place. I don't have a desire to go somewhere else. I would like to keep doing this and God willing, covering the Wisconsin beat for a long, long time. Um, I enjoy being, if there's an ego part of it too, let's be real. I enjoy being a voice or an authority on a subject matter. It's not a very big market. Um, and I don't have aspirations to cover pro sports. I know that a lot of people do. And for me, maybe some of it goes back to covering the White Sox for that summer. <laughs> it's like, there's a part of me that thinks it's tough. Um, and, and it's not like this with 
with every athlete, but just the idea that they make more money in a day than you might make in a year. I feel like that's a natural disconnect right off the bat. Um, and it's harder than ever to connect with people when they've got their own social media channels and all those types of things. So for me, I, I actually really enjoy the college sports aspect of it, even though athletic departments can do their best to control the message now, which if I were them, I would too. Um, so the, the, to answer your question flatly, this is where I want to be. Um, and I really enjoy being at the athletic. I think everybody that's listening is really, really happy about that. And obviously I am as well, because I love doing the podcast with you. Um, getting into a little bit of your time on the Wisconsin beat, you've covered three Wisconsin coaches. You got Brett Bielma for a year and a half. You got Gary Anderson for two years. And now you have Paul Christ for the last uh, six years. Rank them in terms of the people that you'd like to cover. That you've, that you've enjoyed covering. Um, no, I'm kidding. I, I, I feel like th they're all extremely different personalities. And I, yes. I, I also think it'd probably be hard not to put Brett Bielma at number one on that list. Is that accurate? Look, what I'm interested in are colorful quotes that are going to add to my story. Um, and I think anybody knows who's heard Brett, that's what you're going to get. I mean, when I was there, in, during signing day in 2012, if some may recall, he made some type of comment about recruiting practices in the Big Ten, which was lobbed in Urban Meyer's direction at Ohio State. And uh, things just happened when he was the coach that, that you could use. He would give you really colorful stuff. And Paul is a good man, a good person. Um, and I think he's I think he's getting better, to be quite honest, with talking to reporters. It's certainly not his favorite thing. It's never going to be his favorite thing. Um, but it's also an important aspect of the job. Um, but if I'm looking for a colorful quote, for the most part, especially in a group setting, it's probably not going to be Paul. Now I will say in the occasions when I've had one-on-ones with him, he's fantastic. I just think sometimes those group settings can be a bit of a challenge, but it's, it's still fun to cover the program. Yeah. I mean, there are enough other colorful quotes within the program that you don't necessarily need that all the time, right? Like you don't need him to give you the one-liners. And you mentioned PJ Fleck before, and I think we talked about this uh, maybe the last time we did a show. I don't, maybe not. I don't know. There, there's an in-between between what we get from Paul Christ in front of cameras and what we get from PJ Fleck in front of cameras. I think that might, the happy medium between the two might be the best. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what that would look like here. Or what coach would fit that bill. Um, I mean, Bielman was much closer to, to Fleck than, uh, than Chris. Would you agree? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I feel like your perspective on Fleck is that it's a shtick. Um, it's a fake, it's a bunch yeah. of coach speak. Yes. Like, I don't think that was Brett. Uh, okay. I mean, there were, there were some, you know, the go one and oh each week and coach speak type mantras, but, um, I certainly think they're different. And, and I've had an opportunity to talk to Brett a handful of times since he's been at Illinois too. And I, I just did the like state of the program series, which we do at the athletic on, on basically every college program. And I, I did one on Illinois. So I was talking to him for like a half hour and still great to talk to still gives you good stuff. Uh, has he changed? Well, since 2011, 2012, since he was in at Wisconsin from an interview standpoint, I, I don't, I don't know how much it's changed. I think what you would hear people say is that he's grown up. He's got a family now. Um, he's been humbled a bit. He went to Arkansas and 
wanted to win championships and got fired because the Razorbacks weren't very good and they were in the best conference in the country. So to me, I think that may be some of it. Um, and a lot of the Bielema stories that you heard when he was at Wisconsin, like came before I was there, I think. Uh, the, the famous story that goes around in the reporting circles or a famous story is the one where you, you tell me what it was. It was the quarterback who was hurt and he told reporters that he threw like the last pass in practice. Um, and then he said, well, after the fact, like people were reporting it, he's, I didn't tell you it was left-handed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> uh, John Stocko, 2006 going into Iowa. Um, yes, that that's the, I, I guess that's a, that's a famous story in terms of football. There are quite a few other stories um, off the field that obviously we won't get into that. Um, though those are a little bit, I think probably stick out to people a little bit more than anything he, he did football wise, but you still, I mean, you still had the, that's what the card said. Card said go for two uh, in 2010 against Minnesota. I mean, you, you have so many moments where he just gave you exactly what you'd want as a reporter. Maybe not always what you would want to have, have your team to live up to, but, he didn't care. He didn't, he didn't care. And he, uh, just ran with it. But, um, do you have a favorite Bielema story that, uh, during those, those couple of years there? Um, no, I can't, I can't say that there's one that comes to mind right off the top of my head. I'd really probably have to think about it, but in terms of the foot and mouth type thing, yeah. um, I mean, just the, <laughs> the whole urban Meyer thing was, was sort of funny. I guess he yes. really going the direction that I think he's going in right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then he goes to the SEC, uh, you know, like what, five months later uh, and probably had to dive into the exact same thing that he was upset about. I think he was um, talking about that so-called gentleman's agreement in the, among Big Ten coaches and the, the, like the idea of which is funny now because that is so old school and never going to happen again. The idea of recruiting players who were committed somewhere else. It's like, dude, <laughs> until they <laughs> sign on the dotted line in the early signing period in December. It's fair game. And if the kid doesn't want to answer you, that's cool too. But yeah, go after it. Go get the best players you can. And uh, yeah, for sure. All right. Let's get into our position preview. We've gone through the quarterbacks. We did that with Colton last week. We went to the running backs. Jake took care of that. And then uh, Mike Hogan earlier this week did the wide receivers. I left the O-line for us because uh, it's extensive. There's, there's a lot to talk about, right? Uh, a lot of spots to look at. But what's your biggest question heading into camp? I know what mine is, and I, I'm guessing I know what yours is, but I'll let you go ahead and say. Yeah, I know that we addressed this way back in April, which even though it was only a couple months ago, feels a lot longer now. It's um, what happens when Joe Tippman is healthy enough to be the starting center in, in, in terms of uh, Tanner Bordellini. Where does he wind up? And in conjunction with that, is Logan Brown going to be the starting right tackle this season? Uh, right. They, it's not mutually exclusive because from the sound of it in talking to the coaches, they like Bordellini as a guard. Bob Bosted said that. Um, and Paul said that as well. My initial thought was, well, if he's one of the five best, you put him at tackle. If Logan Brown, and that could still happen, but if they really like Bordellini on the interior, then I think Logan's going to get every opportunity to win the, the right tackle job. I just, he's got to be better than he was in the spring. How long can you go? And like, say he is, say he is exactly what he was in the spring, which probably isn't where you need that spot to be. How long could you go with that in fall camp before you need to be like, all right, well, nope, this is going to be Trey Wedig, or this is going to be Tanner. 
or this is going to be perhaps Riley Mallman moving over from the left side to, to right tackle. Like, how long do you go? My thought is about the time they close camp to reporters. <laughs> <laughs> Usually we have these ideas of what's happening and then something changes in the two weeks leading up to the season opener, at least a week, um, maybe a little longer. They've got enough film on him from the spring and I don't know what he'll look like in the fall, but that is, those are the biggest question marks on the line. I mean, there's no doubt about your left side. There's no doubt about your center but there's questions about who's going to play right guard. Is it Michael Fertney? And if it's not Fertney, is it Bordellini? And is Logan Brown your starting right tackle? Because that's a pretty important position. It's significant. It's huge. I think that they have a star at left tackle. I, yes. I do. And, and again, he's, he hasn't played it in a game yet. Playing right guard, Jack Nelson did all last year. But him being at left tackle, if he stays healthy, has a chance to be special. Um, he's got all the intangibles that you want for a left tackle, and he's right there. In terms of Logan Brown, is this the last chance for him? Like, if he can't grab a starting spot this year, is it ever going to happen? I feel like that's a very, like, hot take uh, TV question. question and, also, hey. and also totally legitimate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like it is. Um, like, again – he should have every opportunity to earn the job this year. The spot is wide open. Guys have moved on. He's been in the program since 2019. Obviously injuries played a role early on. Didn't do anything. 2019, 2020 was the COVID shortened year. And last year they had a veteran starter there. Um, and he was also on the left side. I mean, that's another thing to consider too, is he spent his whole offensive line playing career on the left side. And it is different on the right side, your footwork, how you block guys, I'm not making an excuse. I'm just kind of saying in spring practice, that was really his first chance to be on, on the right side. But if you can't get it done and you get passed by a younger guy, how are you going to, how are you going to rise up above him unless an injury occurs? Because it's the most talented position group uh, on the team. Uh, you may say outside linebacker and certainly uh, they're in the conversation, but just the sheer volume of on paper talent. talent. Yes. On, on paper it's, talent. It's exceptional. Yeah. And look at who would be the other candidates. Okay. Nolan Ritchie, another five-star prospect, Riley Malman, who could play a lot of different spots. Number one player in, in Minnesota uh, in his class, four-star prospect. So Trey Wedding, another four-star. Yes, exactly. It, it, who played guard, uh, but can play tackle, obviously. Played some guard there. in the spring, played both. Yeah. Um, if any of those guys become number one, then I think Logan's in some trouble, but we're not there yet. I mean, I, again, do you think that there's, I know what, I know what Bob Bostad said in the spring about Tanner and Bordellini kind of envisioning him as an inside guy, but if he's part of the top five and so is Michael Fertney, do you have to get him on the field? I would think so. But I also think that Bostad and Chris have been pretty adamant to this point that he is an interior guy. Um, so there's there's the rub i think he's a do everything guy like I, of I mean, course he, he is he can do anything he started at right tackle in the bowl game right and started as a true freshman at center yes so like he's 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 shown the ability to do it everywhere i think that's just he's a little cliche he's a swiss army knife like he can do a little bit of everything that you needed to do and i just i guess they just got to find the, the best spot for him and you know bob bostad i wonder if bob bostad views Logan Brown in the same vein that he did Josh Ogles be back in when he 
showed up in in 2000. I believe it's he's to that class in 08, but like a guy that dealt with a ton of injuries, five star kid, ton of injuries, wasn't completely all the way healthy, but eventually worked himself into being the starting right tackle and being an all Big Ten starting right tackle. Now he obviously wasn't able to go on and play in the NFL because I mean his knees were shot. We don't know about Logan's shoulder. He's talked about it. Uh, the shoulder that he had surgery on that maybe it's not all the way back and that it may never be. And moving to the other side makes it a little bit less of an issue. Um, Being on the right side kind of helps that, but I don't know if it doesn't happen this fall camp, whether it's ever going to happen for him. I think that's reasonable. This is his fourth year in the program. Um, Even if you throw out the first year and, and the COVID year to some degree, he's been here for a long time. And you've got a lot of young players waiting in the wings. And there's just, it's too important of a position to be waiting around for someone to play at the level that you need him to play. You know, Bob Bostead isn't going to be waiting around. Um, he demands excellence and he's coached a lot of great players. So yeah, to me, this is, this is his chance. Um, and he's had flashes. I remember writing about him last fall camp because he, he ended up being getting all the snaps with the first team. Cause there were some injuries in fall camp and he looked good. And then he suffered a head injury. Um, yep. And he was largely healthy during the season from, from talking to Joe Rudolph about that, but you just, you can't be that guy. And they talk about all the time about all 11 need to do the job. You can't be that one guy that there's an outside linebacker who's free and it's because you can't block it. We talk about Graham Mertz and whether this offense is going to go or not, it's going to be on him. And I agree with that. He's at the top of the list, but I think right there along with him is the offensive line, because if they could be dominant, in the run game, but also in pass protection, which I think where I think they've lacked at times, uh, especially over these last two years. If they can live up to that, I think the offense goes from what it has been the last two years, below average to above average to good. You know, I'm not going to say great. They're not anywhere close to great at this point, but they could be above average to good if the offensive line can live up to the Wisconsin standards. If the offensive line can get back to what Bob Bosted said uh, something about, we need to get back to and then cut himself off uh, <laughs> yeah. because he didn't want to uh, take any shots. But they're right there with Graham, I think. Yeah, it, it changes everything if the offensive line can be, I don't know, is dominant the right word? I mean, it, dominant at Wisconsin is a very high bar. It's Bosted's first time around on, on the O-line with the best. Right? <laughs> they're not going to be there, at least based on right now. Um, <laughs> they got some pretty good pieces. But, of course, think about the difference between – a running back who gets touched for the first time at the line of scrimmage compared to he's got full steam ahead and he's a yard or two past, like it makes such a huge difference. And obviously we've seen like any quarterback, but with Graham, when he's got more time, when his feet aren't out of sorts, all we heard in the spring was about the timing and the rhythm, which affect the accuracy and the location. If he's got time, I think he can make major steps forward and there are people rolling their eyes about that because they've seen enough probably at this point, but yes, it goes hand in hand. No doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, before we get going, I wanted to ask you about the inside linebacker coach. Cause that was, we haven't talked, we haven't been on the same uh, show since then. What do you make of the whole situation with, with Bill Sheridan and how that all came about? Uh, well, I guess the question would be, and maybe this is obvious because you'd have to ask, well, did Wisconsin know about this? There's no way they would have, in my mind, certainly there's no way they would have, you would think, hired somebody if they knew he was going to be under investigation for 
potential violations at Air Force. Um, it's clearly not an ideal situation. The guy was here for two months, runs through spring practice. The inside linebackers are getting comfortable with him, and now they've got someone new in. I, I don't know what to make of it. Like, I, I don't fault Wisconsin at all. They, they, at the time, with the information that we believe they had, which was not knowing all this was coming down the pike, hired somebody that they thought was pretty good that had been recommended by a couple different coaches, including Bob Bostad, who worked with him uh, down in, was it Tampa? Yep. In, in the NFL. It doesn't put Wisconsin in a great spot. And the other thing is, when they had to make a hire, how many coaches who are still in the game <laughs> are available after spring practice, which is why they went and got someone who hasn't been in the game for a few years. Not saying it's not going to work out. It's just the spot Wisconsin was in. Yeah. What, what would be worse if they knew about it and did it anyways, or not knowing at all? Oh, if they knew about it and did it anyways, Okay. because you can't fault them for not knowing. Like we didn't know if we had known, we'd be reporting on it. Was it him just taking Bob Bostad's I'm talking about Paul Chris. Is it him just taking what Bob Bostad said about him and being like, all right, Yep. You trust him. So I trust him. Bring him in. Because I feel like, how would that not get out that he had been fired from Air Force? I don't know the answer to that question right now. And I don't know whether we'll get an answer, but uh, for people listening, you also have to remember that from the last spring practice until Big Ten Media Days is a three month window where we really don't have access to the program. So we can't ask these questions. And I think that's an, it's a, a valid question. Don't know if we, what kind of answer we would get in a public setting. I don't, I don't know, but I think it's much more than that. I would have to think. And if I'm not mistaken, it was two coaches that actually independently recommended Bill Sheridan to Paul Christ, which probably is a good starting point, but just like they do with recruits that they bring in, there's gotta be a lot of vetting that goes on. And I think that's where maybe there's the gray area or the questions of, if you do that much vetting, how could you not know? And I don't know the answer to that question. And I hope we have an opportunity to ask and, and get an answer. Yeah. So what do you make of Mark D'Onofrio? don't know much about him obviously like i it i'm when that first got hired i'm like where where has this guy been for the last three years like what's he been doing <laughs> uh I, I literally have to look him up on wikipedia like i i <laughs> haven't had a chance to talk to him i i don't know i mean i don't know what to make of him we haven't had a chance to talk to him i don't know what his coaching style is going to be i don't know how different it's going to be I feel like Paul probably did the best he could with the situation that he had, which again was having to hire somebody at a time when all the coaches are still in the game that are, <laughs> yeah. that are in the game, right? Like the last time he was, he coached was the 2018 season. He was Houston's defensive coordinator and inside linebackers coach in 2017, 2018. So that's four years. That's a long time. Yeah, it definitely is. But uh, we'll get the chance to talk to them about a month from now when uh, they get close to opening up fall camp, big 10 media days coming up at the end of July as well. Jesse will be there. I'll be there. We'll be doing an episode of the camp after everything and fill y'all in on exactly what we hear from whoever's there. We're not, not exactly sure players that are going to be there for Wisconsin or anybody else, but that is less than a month away. Football getting close, Jesse. Enjoy your time on the golf course these next few weeks because yeah, after that, no time whatsoever. Really, really appreciate you jumping on. I kept you obviously way too long, as I've told everybody in these first three interviews. Kept you way too long. Uh, but I do appreciate it, sharing your time and sharing your uh, your story. And can't uh, wait to be back with you on a weekly basis, twice weekly basis, as uh, we get closer to the season and into the season. Thanks a lot, Zach. I appreciate you having me on. And I, as always, look forward to another season of doing this on the camp. Yep. All right. There he is, Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.